Section six of Eugenie Grandet by Honoré de Balzac. Translated by Catherine Prescott Wormley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Section six. About four o'clock, an abrupt knock at the door struck sharply on the heart of Madame Grandet. What can have happened to your father? she said to her daughter. Grandet entered joyously. After taking off his gloves, he rubbed his hands hard enough to take off their skin as well, if his epidermis had not been tanned and cured like Russia leather, saving, of course, the perfume of large trees and incense. Presently his secret escaped him. Wife, he said, without stuttering, I've trapped them all. Our wine is sold. The Dutch and the Belgians have gone. I walked about the market-place in front of their inn, pretending to be doing nothing. That Belgian fellow, you know who I mean, came up to me. The owners of all the good vineyards have kept back their vintages, intending to wait. Well, I didn't hinder them. The Belgian was in despair, I saw that. In a minute the bargain was made. He takes my vintage at two hundred francs, the puncheon, half down. He paid me in gold, the notes are drawn. Here are six louis for you. In three months wines will have fallen." These words, uttered in a quiet tone of voice, were nevertheless so bitterly sarcastic that the inhabitants of Saumur, grouped at this moment in the market-place and overwhelmed by the news of the sale Grandet had just effected, would have shuddered had they heard them. Their panic would have brought the price of wines down fifty per cent at once did you have a thousand puncheons this year father yes little one that term applied to his daughter was the superlative expression of the old miser's joy then that makes two hundred thousand pieces of twenty sous each yes mademoiselle grandet then father you can easily help charles the amazement, the anger, the stupefaction of Belshazzar when he saw the Mene Tekel Upharsin before his eyes is not to be compared with the cold rage of Grandet, who, having forgotten his nephew, now found him enshrined in the heart and calculations of his daughter. What's this? Ever since that dandy put foot in my house everything goes wrong. You behave as if you had the right to buy sugar-plums and make feasts and weddings. I won't have that sort of thing. I hope I know my duty at my time of life. I certainly shan't take lessons from my daughter or from anybody else. I shall do for my nephew what it is proper to do, and you have no need to poke your nose into it. As for you, Eugenie, he added, facing her, don't speak of this again, or I'll send you to the Abbé des Noyers with Nanon, see if I don't, and no later than to-morrow either, if you disobey me. Where is that fellow? Has he come down yet? No, my friend, answered Madame Grandet. What is he doing, then? He is weeping for his father, said Eugenie. Grandet looked at his daughter without finding a word to say. After all, he was a father. He made a couple of turns up and down the room, and then went hurriedly to his secret den to think over an investment he was meditating in the public funds. The thinning out of his two thousand acres of forest land had yielded him six hundred thousand francs, 
putting this sum to that derived from the sale of his poplars and to his other gains for the last year and for the current year he had amassed a total of nine hundred thousand francs without counting the two hundred thousand he had got by the sale just concluded the twenty per cent which cruchot assured him would gain in a short time from the funds then quoted at seventy tempted him he figured out his calculation on the margin of the newspaper which gave the account of his brother's death all the while hearing the moans of his nephew but without listening to them nanon came and knocked on the wall to summon him to dinner on the last step of the staircase he was saying to himself as he came down i'll do it i shall get eight per cent interest in two years i shall have fifteen hundred thousand francs which i will then draw out in good gold well where's my nephew he says he doesn't want anything to eat answered nanon that's not good for him so much saved retorted her master that's so she said bah he won't cry long hunger drives the wolves out of the woods the dinner was eaten in silence my good friend said madame grandet when the cloth was removed we must put on mourning upon my word madame grandet what will you invent next to spend money on mourning is in the heart and not in the clothes but mourning for a brother is indispensable and the church commands us to buy your mourning out of your six louis give me a hat-band that's enough for me eugenie raised her eyes to heaven without uttering a word her generous instincts slumbering and long repressed but now suddenly and for the first time awakened were galled at every turn the evening passed to all appearance like a thousand other evenings of their monotonous life yet it was certainly the most horrible eugenie sewed without raising her head and did not use the work-box which charles had despised the night before madame grandet knitted her sleeves grandet twirled his thumbs for four hours absorbed in calculations whose results were on the morrow to astonish saumur no one came to visit the family that day the whole town was ringing with the news of the business trick just played by grandet the failure of his brother and the arrival of his nephew obeying the desire to gossip over their mutual interests all the upper and middle-class wine-growers in saumur met at monsieur des grassins where terrible imprecations were being fulminated against the ex-mayor nanon was spinning and the whir of her wheel was the only sound heard beneath the gray rafters of that silent hall we don't waste our tongues she said showing her teeth as large and white as peeled almonds nothing should be wasted answered grandet rousing himself from his reverie he saw a perspective of eight millions in three years and he was sailing along that sheet of gold let us go to bed i will bid my nephew good-night for the rest of you and see if he will take anything madame grandet remained on the landing of the first story to hear the conversation that was about to take place between the good man and his nephew eugenie bolder than her mother went up two stairs well nephew you are in trouble yes weep that's natural a father is a father but we must bear our troubles patiently i am a good uncle to you remember that come take courage 
will you have a little glass of wine wine costs nothing in saumur and they offer it as tea is offered in china why added grandet you have got no light that's bad very bad you ought to see what you are about and he walked to the chimney-piece what's this he cried a wax candle how the devil did they filch a wax candle the spendthrifts would tear down the ceilings of my house to boil the fellow's eggs hearing these words mother and daughter slipped back into their rooms and burrowed in their beds with the celerity of frightened mice getting back to their holes madame grandet have you found a mine said the man coming into the chamber of his wife my friend wait i am saying my prayers said the poor mother in a trembling voice the devil take your good god growled grandet in reply misers have no belief in a future life the present is their all in all this thought casts a terrible light upon our present epoch in which far more than at any former period money sways the laws and politics and morals institutions books men and dogmas all conspire to undermine belief in a future life a belief upon which the social edifice has rested for eighteen hundred years the grave as a means of transition is little feared in our day the future which once opened to us beyond the requiems has now been imported into the present to obtain per fas et nefas a terrestrial paradise of luxury and earthly enjoyment to harden the heart and macerate the body for the sake of fleeting possessions as the martyrs once suffered all things to reach eternal joys this is now the universal thought a thought written everywhere even in the very laws which ask of the legislator what do you pay instead of asking him what do you think when this doctrine has passed down from the bourgeoisie to the populace where will this country be madame grandet have you done asked the old man my friend i am praying for you very good good night to-morrow morning we will have a talk the poor woman went to sleep like a schoolboy who not having learned his lessons knows he will see his master's angry face on the morrow at the moment when filled with fear she was drawing the sheet above her head that she might stifle hearing eugenie in her nightgown and with naked feet ran to her side and kissed her brow oh my good mother she said to-morrow i will tell him it was i no he would send you to noyer leave me to manage it he cannot eat me do you hear mamma what he is weeping still go to bed my daughter you will take cold in your feet the floor is damp thus passed the solemn day which was destined to wait upon the whole life of the rich and poor heiress whose sleep was never again to be so calm nor yet so pure as it had been up to this moment it often happens that certain actions of human life seem literally speaking improbable though actual is not this because we constantly omit to turn the stream of psychological light upon our impulsive determinations and fail to explain the subtle reasons mysteriously conceived in our minds which impelled them perhaps eugenie's deep passion should be analyzed in its most delicate fibres 
for it became scoffers might say a malady which influenced her whole existence many people prefer to deny results rather than estimate the force of ties and links and bonds which secretly join one fact to another in the moral order here therefore eugenie's past life will offer to observers of human nature an explanation of her naive want of reflection and the suddenness of the emotions which overflowed her soul the more tranquil her life had been the more vivid was her womanly pity the more simple-minded were the sentiments now developed in her soul made restless by the events of the day she woke at intervals to listen to her cousin thinking she heard the sighs which still echoed in her heart sometimes she saw him dying of his trouble sometimes she dreamed that he fainted from hunger towards morning she was certain that she heard a startling cry she dressed at once and ran in the dawning light with a swift foot to her cousin's chamber the door of which he had left open the candle had burned down to the socket charles overcome by nature was sleeping dressed and sitting in an armchair beside the bed on which his head rested he dreamed as men dream on an empty stomach eugenie might weep at her ease she might admire the young and handsome face blotted with grief the eyes swollen with weeping that seemed sleeping as they were to well forth tears charles felt sympathetically the young girl's presence he opened his eyes and saw her pitying him pardon me my cousin he said evidently not knowing the hour nor the place in which he found himself there are hearts who hear you cousin and we thought you might need something you should go to bed you tire yourself by sitting thus that is true well then adieu she escaped ashamed and happy at having gone there innocence alone can dare to be so bold once enlightened virtue makes her calculations as well as vice eugenie who had not trembled beside her cousin could scarcely stand upon her legs when she regained her chamber her ignorant life had suddenly come to an end she reasoned she rebuked herself with many reproaches what will he think of me he will think that i love him that was what she most wished him to think an honest love has its own prescience and knows that love begets love what an event for this poor solitary girl thus to have entered the chamber of a young man are there not thoughts and actions in the life of love which to certain souls bear the full meaning of the holiest espousals an hour later she went to her mother and dressed her as usual then they both came down and sat in their places before the window waiting for grandet with that cruel anxiety which according to the individual character freezes the heart or warms it shrivels or dilates it when a scene is feared a punishment expected a feeling so natural that even domestic animals possess it and whine at the slightest pain of punishment though they make no outcry when they inadvertently hurt themselves the good man came down but he spoke to his wife with an absent manner kissed eugenie and sat down to table without appearing to remember his threats of the night before what has become of my nephew the lad gives no trouble monsieur he is asleep answered nanon 
so much the better you won't want a wax candle said grandet in a jeering tone this unusual clemency this bitter gaiety struck madame grandet with amazement and she looked at her husband attentively the good man here it may be well to explain that in touraine anjou pitou and bretagne the word good man already used to designate grandet is bestowed as often upon harsh and cruel men as upon those of kindly temperament when either have reached a certain age the title means nothing on the score of individual gentleness the good man took his hat and gloves saying as he went out i am going to loiter about the market-place and find cruchot eugenie your father certainly has something on his mind grandet who was a poor sleeper employed half his nights in the preliminary calculations which gave such astonishing accuracy to his views and observations and schemes and secured to them the unfailing success at sight of which his townsmen stood amazed all human power is a compound of time and patience powerful beings will and wait the life of a miser is the constant exercise of human power put to the service of self it rests on two sentiments only self-love and self-interest but self-interest being to a certain extent compact and intelligent self-love the visible sign of real superiority it follows that self-love and self-interest are two parts of the same whole egotism from this arises perhaps the excessive curiosity shown in the habits of a miser's life whenever they are put before the world every nature holds by a thread to those beings who challenge all human sentiments by concentrating all in one passion where is the man without desire and what social desire can be satisfied without money grandet unquestionably had something on his mind to use his wife's expression there was in him as in all misers a persistent craving to play a commercial game with other men and win their money legally to impose upon other people was to him a sign of power a perpetual proof that he had won the right to despise those feeble beings who suffer themselves to be preyed upon in this world oh who has ever truly understood the lamb lying peacefully at the feet of god touching emblem of all terrestrial victims myth of their future suffering and weakness glorified this lamb it is which the miser fattens puts in his fold slaughters cooks eats and then despises the pasture of misers is compounded of money and disdain during the night grandet's ideas had taken another course which was the reason of his sudden clemency he had hatched a plot by which to trick the parisians to decoy and dupe and snare them to drive them into a trap and make them go and come and sweat and hope and turn pale a plot by which to amuse himself the old provincial cooper sitting there beneath his gloomy rafters or passing up and down the rotten staircase of his house in saumur his nephew filled his mind he wished to save the honor of his dead brother without the cost of a penny to the son or to himself his own funds he was about to invest for three years he had therefore nothing further to do than to manage his property in saumur 
he needed some nutriment for his malicious activity and he found it suddenly in his brother's failure feeling nothing to squeeze between his own paws he resolved to crush the parisians in behalf of charles and to play the part of a good brother on the cheapest terms the honour of the family counted for so little in this scheme that his good intentions might be likened to the interest a gambler takes in seeing a game well played in which he has no stake the cruchots were a necessary part of his plan but he would not seek them he resolved to make them come to him and to lead up that very evening to a comedy whose plot he had just conceived which should make him on the morrow an object of admiration to the whole town without its costing him a single penny in her father's absence eugenie had the happiness of busying herself openly with her much-loved cousin of spending upon him fearlessly the treasures of her pity woman's sublime superiority the soul she desires to have recognized the soul she pardons man for letting her assume three or four times the young girl went to listen to her cousin's breathing to know if he were sleeping or awake then when he had risen she turned her thoughts to the cream the eggs the fruits the plates the glasses all that was a part of his breakfast became the object of some special care at length she ran lightly up the old staircase to listen to the noise her cousin made was he dressing did he still weep she reached the door my cousin yes cousin will you breakfast downstairs or in your room where you like how do you feel dear cousin i am ashamed of being hungry this conversation held through the closed door was like an episode in a poem to eugenie well then we will bring your breakfast to your own room so as not to annoy my father she ran to the kitchen with the swiftness and lightness of a bird nanon go and do his room that staircase so often traversed which echoed to the slightest noise now lost its decaying aspect in the eyes of eugenie it grew luminous it had a voice and spoke to her it was young like herself young like the love it was now serving her mother her kind indulgent mother lent herself to the caprices of the child's love and after the room was put in order both went to sit with the unhappy youth and keep him company does not christian charity make consolation a duty the two women drew a goodly number of little sophistries from their religion wherewith to justify their conduct charles was made the object of the tenderest and most loving care his saddened heart felt the sweetness of the gentle friendship the exquisite sympathy which these two souls crushed under perpetual restraint knew so well how to display when for an instant they were left unfettered in the regions of suffering their natural sphere claiming the right of relationship eugenie began to fold the linen and put in order the toilet articles which charles had brought thus she could marvel at her ease over each luxurious bauble and the various knick-knacks of silver or chased gold which she held long in her hand under a pretext of examining them charles could not see without emotion the generous interest his aunt and cousin felt in him 
he knew society in paris well enough to feel assured that placed as he now was he would find all hearts indifferent or cold eugenie thus appeared to him in the splendor of a special beauty and from thenceforth he admired the innocence of life and manners which the previous evening he had been inclined to ridicule so when eugenie took from nanon the bowl of coffee and cream and began to pour it out for her cousin with the simplicity of real feeling giving him a kindly glance the eyes of the parisian filled with tears he took her hand and kissed it what troubles you she said oh these are tears of gratitude he answered eugenie turned abruptly to the chimney-piece to take the candlesticks here nanon carry them away she said when she looked again towards her cousin she was still blushing but her looks could at least deceive and did not betray the excess of joy which inundated her heart yet the eyes of both expressed the same sentiment as their souls flowed together in one thought the future was theirs this soft emotion was all the more precious to charles in the midst of his heavy grief because it was wholly unexpected the sound of the knocker recalled the women to their usual station happily they were able to run downstairs with sufficient rapidity to be seated at their work when grandet entered had he met them under the archway it would have been enough to rouse his suspicions after breakfast which the good man took standing the keeper from froidfond to whom the promised indemnity had never yet been paid made his appearance bearing a hare and some partridges shot in the park with eels and two pike sent as tribute by the millers ha ha poor cornoyer here he comes like fish in lent is all that fit to eat yes my dear generous master it has been killed two days come nanon bestir yourself said grandet take these things they'll do for dinner i have invited the two cruchots nanon opened her eyes stupid with amazement and looked at everybody in the room well she said and how am i to get the lard and the spices wife said grandet give nanon six francs and remind me to get some of the good wine out of the cellar well then monsieur grandet said the keeper who had come prepared with an harangue for the purpose of settling the question of the indemnity monsieur grandet ta 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 said grandet i know what you want to say you are a good fellow we will see about it to-morrow i'm too busy to-day wife give him five francs he added to madame grandet as he decamped the poor woman was only too happy to buy peace at the cost of eleven francs she knew that grandet would let her alone for a fortnight after he had thus taken back franc by franc the money he had given her here cornoyer she said slipping ten francs into the man's hand some day we will reward your services cornoyer could say nothing so he went away madame said nanon who had put on her black coif and taken her basket i want only three francs you keep the rest it'll go fast enough somehow have a good dinner nanon my cousin will come down said eugenie something very extraordinary is going on i am certain of it said madame grandet this is only the third time since our marriage that your father has given a dinner 
about four o'clock just as eugenie and her mother had finished setting the table for six persons and after the master of the house had brought up a few bottles of the exquisite wine which provincials cherish with true affection charles came down into the hall the young fellow was pale his gestures the expression of his face his glance and the tones of his voice all had a sadness which was full of grace he was not pretending grief he truly suffered and the veil of pain cast over his features gave him an interesting air dear to the heart of women eugenie loved him the more for it perhaps she felt that sorrow drew him nearer to her charles was no longer the rich and distinguished young man placed in a sphere far above her but a relation plunged into frightful misery misery begets equality women have this in common with the angels suffering humanity belongs to them charles and eugenie understood each other and spoke only with their eyes for the poor fallen dandy orphaned and impoverished sat apart in a corner of the room and was proudly calm and silent yet from time to time the gentle and caressing glance of the young girl shone upon him and constrained him away from his sad thoughts drawing him with her into the fields of hope and of futurity where she loved to hold him at her side End of section six.